everyone. I'm your host, Liana Pavane, founder of TTYL, human connection advocate, certified life coach, and most importantly, a human that's just trying to figure it out. I'm your unapologetic 20-something native New Yorker, advocating selfships. Yes, I'm in a relationship with myself while navigating the dating world. I'm on a mission to break down dating stigmas in our society and to stop ghosting. I started this podcast after my ex broke up with me over the phone. I know, at least it wasn't a post-it. And I realized that our dating etiquette was severely lacking due to technology. Each week, I invite guests onto the podcast from all walks of life to discuss their first date horror stories and best dates. Because let's be honest, we don't focus on the positives enough when it comes to dating. The best part about this podcast is that after each episode, I've walked away feeling more confident about myself and my relationships. So whether or not you're single, in a relationship, or find yourself in a situationship, I welcome you to get comfy as I dive into the uncomfy so we can normalize it together. Jitters, on your first date, not in your coffee. I am so excited to partner with Jibby Coffee, a lifestyle and wellness brand that crafts functional coffee for the balance-seeking consumer. They crafted a CBD-infused Colombian cold brew to help people focus throughout the day without the jitters or crash. Dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan, no added sugar, and no compromises. Made in the U.S. and 100% recyclable. In addition to the fact that this coffee is focus and clarity boosting, 1% of every Jibby order goes to a high-impact nonprofit at no added cost to you. You can even track your impact directly through their partners, Charity Water, Food for Farmers, and Cannabis for Conservation. Use code GOES15 for 15% off. That's GOES15 for 15% off on both subscription and one-time purchases. Available at jibbycoffee.com for free shipping nationwide. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ghost of Dates Past. I'm super excited about today's episode. I'm here with Camille Virginia, who is an award-winning writer, founder of Master Offline Dating and author of the best-selling book, The Offline Dating Method, her three-step process to help singles ditch the dating apps and attract a great partner in the real world. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. So let's just dive right in. Tell me the first date horror story. (laughs) Oh, brings me back. Well, I met a guy at a friend's art show, and he was probably 15 years older than me, and I had just come out of a relationship. So, you know, you're kind of sensitive to dating again, but you're like, oh, let's get back out there. And he offered to cook me dinner, which was very nice for a first date. And so I showed up hungry. And I think he forgot that he told me he would cook me dinner because then he kind of went into what I looking back on saw was this kind of plan of seduction where he like took me to his artist studio and we were there for over an hour and he's telling me about all the stuff that he does and I'm like yep great when do we get to the dinner part and then it just kind of got worse from there he said he was leaving for Europe and he had some errands to do so he went to the computer store and the grocery store and didn't buy any food for dinner came home he's like well you ate right At this point, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to see where this goes. This is, how can you say that you're going to cook someone dinner and then completely not do any of that and and do the opposite? And anyway, so we came back to his place. His dog had gotten into, his dog had gotten into my bag and chewed up my Tupperware. And he's like, I think it's fine. It'll still work. 
And then we watched this terrible movie with his two female roommates who were younger than me. And at the end of the date, he's like, so you want to spend the night? And just this guy had no clue. I mean, he, I don't know if this worked for him in the past with other women, but I was so turned off at every single step that things just kept happening that he could have addressed or he could have acknowledged or, you know, the six o'clock date. Even if you didn't say you'd make them dinner, you kind of expected dinner. And I was so hungry. And I think I grabbed a burger on the way home and was just like, what just happened? Wow. That is an insane story. So, okay. First of all, I think the the top question on my mind, because I'm always thinking about food, how many hours did you go without eating on this date? Oh, man. I'm probably going to say like four. That's too long. We can't do it. I know. It's like I you're know. just getting to that point of like, okay, I need some form of snack or I'm going to be hangry in 30 minutes. Yep. At that point, I kind of knew this was going to turn into a good story. So I just didn't even address it because I usually have no problem speaking up for what I need. But I was like, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go as long as I can and just see, is he hungry? Did he eat ahead of time? What's the story here? I don't, I'm just going to see what his, him and his natural habitat is going to do. And he did not disappoint for a good slash bad story. <laughs> I love that. I know you. Sometimes you just got to do it for the plot, and you got to stay, or you got to go on that weird date and just learn and see how awful it could get. Because it's fun to have fun stories. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. At that point, I just didn't even want to help him out. I could probably have changed up to dating game, but I was like, nope. You've shown no consideration for me. I'm not giving you that gift. Yeah, and it's also really strange that he had roommates that were younger than you at the time, which is equally as sketchy and just also he didn't even offer to replace your Tupperware. I mean, they're just, you, we can keep going and commenting on literally everything he did wrong because there wasn't anything he did right. Exactly. So Ray, if you're listening, this was a long time ago, but it's not too late, Ray. It's not too late. <laughs> I love that you have no problem just putting his name out there. I feel like a lot of people sometimes they're like, oh, I'm just going to call them, you know, make a nickname for the person and say so-and-so, whatever, whatever. But I love it. Power to you. Yeah. You know what? That many strikes against you, you deserve to have your name called out. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So before you even started meeting people in person and being the confident person that you are right now. You dealt with a lot of social anxiety, which you touch on in your book and, and, you know, through your work. So growing up, how did you slowly overcome this throughout the years? Well, I, you know, when I was growing up, social anxiety wasn't household term, a buzzword that we now know it to be. Like everyone, you say social anxiety, especially with the pandemic, everyone knows what that means. And growing up, I didn't know. I just thought that everyone else was more confident, more comfortable talking to people. And I just needed to work on getting over my fears with that. I, I had no idea. I thought everyone else was just better at it than, than me and stronger. Eventually, I just got sick and tired of it. I was like, I'm really trying and struggling here. And this is everyone else is doing this effortlessly. What am I missing? So I pushed myself to do the things that I saw other people doing. I would go to a party alone and talk to new people, which was terrifying. I would try to chit chat with the checkout people. And I really discovered that no one knows what they're doing. I mean, there are extroverted people out there who can kind of, you know, talk to people with ease. But then I saw limitations with that. They wouldn't get to any level of depth and they'd be beating the topic of the weather to death. So everyone had their limitations. I just couldn't see it when I was younger. And I fell in love with connecting with people, actually. And I found my own rhythm, my own just authentic style of 
commenting on things in the moment or things I was actually interested in, not just talking about something mundane for the sake of talking about it. But like, if I had to talk to that person and I wanted it to be an interesting conversation, what can I use? What do I see? What question do I actually want to know the answer to? And I think that's a, a great tip because if you start off the conversation with something that you don't care about, you don't care. They're not going to care. No one cares about this. So it's just, it's that natural curiosity that we have tapping into that and giving yourself the permission to go up to strangers and, and strike up a conversation. So yeah, just through over a decade, probably I, I overcame it by proving my fears wrong and falling in love with connecting with people. Mm, I love that. And yeah, I definitely have friends who deal with social anxiety. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm a super big extrovert, but I love what you touch on for someone who is an introvert. It's not coming up with this line, this go-to line, or trying to impress the other person. It's just, hey, I'm awesome. And knowing that inherently before you walk into a room, you touch on this in your book in the beginning about this line of instead of being nervous about other people and potentially approaching you or worrying about what to say, it's like walking into a space and being like, who gets the amazing opportunity to talk to me tonight? And I, I just love that line as a mantra in your head that you can say before walking into a room. It can be used for a date. It can be used for walking into a bar, walking into a coffee shop, walking into a networking event, literally anything, because I think it all, and you know, this touches on what I talk about a lot is the relationship to self. It all stems back to that, this idea of a self-ship. If you aren't bringing in enough time and energy and attention to that self-ship, people aren't going to notice you or want to engage with you at all because you're going to be in a bad space. And using your advice, I, I mean, I strike up conversations with people all the time, but I was in a coffee shop earlier today and this girl was sitting next to me and she was working on this beautiful artwork. And I was like, at some point I have to ask her what she does or like who she is. And so I was like, hey, are you an artist? She's like, yeah, I'm an illustrator. And I'm like, cool. Well, I work for this puzzle company and we work with emerging female artists and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'd love to get your email and send you our artist form. And she was so touched and so flattered. I was like, your artwork is beautiful. We would love to partner with you. Like, I'm going to email you. Yeah, it was just this really innocent and like beautiful moment of connection. It's, And she was even like, you never know who you're going to meet. Like, it's so awesome. And, you know, we both didn't have our headphones in. We were both just like in our own world, on our computers, doing our own thing. But you can literally strike up a conversation about anything. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that story. I'm going to use that in my material. <laughs> I love that we're both going to be using things from this podcast and each other's material. I have so many other stories like that. <laughs> It's so beautiful. I mean, you, you're going about your day. You think you've got it all planned out. You're going to go to the coffee shop. You're going to do this. And then you have this beautiful, serendipitous, spontaneous connection. And if that wasn't beautiful enough, because maybe that's where it ends and that's fine. It's a gift to both people. You feel that just adds a pep in your step for the rest of the day. But even beyond that, with this, with your particular um, situation this morning, that could be a long-term partnership. Like she could be now in front of people who then see her artwork and she goes, to, has more opportunities. Like the things that will come out of this little meeting are just going to be amazing no matter how big or small. So I love that. Totally. Yeah. Thanks. I, it's funny. I've met so many cool people at this coffee shop and I, yeah, I mean, even earlier in the week I was waiting in line for this like 
free, like Spotify and Brodo Broth were doing this collab and they were giving out free soup. And I just started striking up a conversation with the guy behind me, he gave me his business card. And I'm like, great, cool. And it wasn't, you know, a romantic thing. It was just like, we. I asked him what he did and I was like, maybe we can collaborate in some way, like give me your card. So yeah, it's so true. Just like being present, going into everything. Something that I've been really trying is like no expectations, going in open-minded, going in with like, okay, I'm coming to a specific place for a goal in mind. But if I see someone cool, I could also veer off the path a little bit. And I think oftentimes, especially when we're trying to do work and work from home and we get really wrapped up, okay, we need to get X done in like this amount of time. We get like really focused, but opening up our peripheral vision and, you know, seeing who's around us. Yeah. And it's so magical because I'm a planner. I'm organized. I make things happen. But the best times in my life are probably things that I didn't plan. And I, I love this. There's, I've heard of something called the triangle of responsibility. And it's just like a, I don't know, it's a picture triangle, cut it in half. So now there's two triangles that make up a big triangle. You're responsible for half of that triangle. So, you know, plan your day, get your stuff done, cross your to-dos off your list, but you're, that's only half of the triangle. The other half is the serendipitous opportunities that the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, are, are coming your way. The things that you're attracted to that you, you can't possibly know about. And that whole, the big triangle is your life. So you're really, you're responsible for making things happen, but then you're also responsible for opening up and letting things come to you because you can't plan everything. You know, if you try to control everything or try to say, well, I'm in this coffee shop and this person looks interesting, but that's not part of my plan today. So I'm not going to talk to them. You know, you're going to miss out on all these opportunities that are trying to come into your life that you're attracting. So yeah, part of it's just simply being open. Add that to your to-do list, everybody. Just put it, be open, pause for 30 seconds in public spaces and see where you're drawn and then go, you know, read my book so you can strike up a conversation with someone that you feel pulled towards and see the magic that starts to happen. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's so true. And I think something else that I've been thinking about because I've noticed a shift for myself this week, whenever I have something else externally going on, you know, a conflict with someone else or a difficult conversation that I need to have with someone, I feel very closed off to everything. I feel disconnected from myself and therefore disconnected to other people and not as open. So for a couple of months was putting off, putting off, putting off these certain conversations with people that I knew I needed to have to lift weight off my shoulders. And I finally did it this week. And what do you know, that's when my openness returned. It was like an immediate, these like 20 pound dumbbells lifted off my shoulders. I just felt so much more clear headed. I've been sleeping way better. I've been more focused. And in turn, because I'm so much more connected to myself, I feel more inclined to be connected and open with other people. So it just goes to show it's all cyclical. You know, if there's something going on in your personal life, you need to focus on that first before you can introduce new people. Absolutely. Yeah, I really like that. Because yeah, if the energy that you're putting out isn't going to be quite aligned if you're not aligned with yourself. And it's not something that visually people can see, but they can feel it if just something's off, even if they aren't aware of it. So yeah, I love that. Totally. Yeah. So delving more into the offline dating method, your book, it provides a lot of practical tips and tricks to meet people in your everyday life. So where did this really begin for you? Oh, gosh. Well, in the process of 
overcoming my social anxiety and falling in love with connecting with people, I mean, the world was getting more and more disconnected. So my, <laughs> my connection graph is going up, the world's connection graph is going down with social media and dating apps and things like that. So oh, in 2013, actually, I'd been in the corporate world for about uh, eight years and I was out with some coworker girlfriends and we were just talking about dates and dating and things like that. And I said, yeah, I went to a picnic and met this guy and we're going on a date. And my friend who's a total extrovert said, Camille, how do you do it? How do you meet all these guys? I can't meet guys. And I talk to people all the time. And so when you're in the corporate world you and you want to teach something, you make a PowerPoint presentation. So I was like, well, I guess I can do a yearn to learn on how to meet people. And I never really thought about what I was doing before. But when you have to teach something to someone and, and you have to articulate it, you're like, oh, I guess this is what I was doing. It just felt natural at the time. And so I made this like five slide PowerPoint presentation and presented it to them and they loved it. One of them credits it with finding her husband <laughs> years later. And it just, it was so much fun to create and to help people. I, it just kept growing for the next year. And then eventually, long story short, that turned into a workshop that I started teaching on the side of my corporate job. And that was fun. I'd have women over in my apartment with wine and go through this now 60 slide PowerPoint and have feedback forums and worksheets. And it was just like a fun girls night, but they were learning so much. I had 43 five-star reviews of the workshop. And then I had so much material. I made an online course and taught myself how to make that and put that on, on uh, Udemy at the time. And then from there, it turned into a business and then from there books and coaching. So it just was very organic. And I just, I, the more I saw people struggling with this, and this is way before COVID, the more I wanted to help and was passionate about it. And I loved it. it was, it's just so much fun. <laughs> I love your story so much. I just think it's also just going along with what you're saying and what we're talking about, about being open. You just have to be open to the creativity, being open to expanding your mind and open to different possibilities. I think we go into life and especially, you know, after college or even when you're in college, you think you know what you want to do and you have to follow this certain path. And I think that's something that I've always really gone against and kind of challenged the status quo of society in the sense that I became an entrepreneur pretty much right after I graduated college. And I feel like I've always kind of marched the beat of my own drum, but it's been something that over the years was difficult because I struggled with walking the line of what society says I should do and what what my personal calling is internally. And something that I've really honed in on, and especially during the last two years, is just being who you are and listening to yourself. You can take advice from other people and you can, hey, cool, society says you should be in the same job for 10 years. That's great for society. But Liana, not so great. Not so great for Liana. Liana doesn't like that. We like to mix things up. We like to do different things. We like to mold into different types of people and, and yeah, just see where life takes me. Yeah, I absolutely love that you just were able to create something out of just a simple question that a friend asked and that she was also an extrovert. So that's so awesome. Yeah, thank you. It, it, life, when you open up, is just going to take you places that you would never have been able to even plan or make happen yourself. And, and it's a lot less work than trying to force things to happen that in door A 
when door B is a lot easier, a lot more fun, but if you're not going to see door B unless you kind of release control. So let door B show up, you know? Totally, totally. And something I just got to in the book is this concept that I really wanted to touch on, the split screen personality disorder, because a lot of what I talk about and and my first interest is really all about tech life balance and managing our expectations in the online community and also, you know, dealing with the comparison and dealing with the alternative reality and social media and just, you know, this depression that can come with all of that. So I think this is such an interesting concept and I love how you word it. It's first of all, people often don't realize that we're interacting with other people and other humans online. And that can be, I know specifically how I felt on TikTok when I was on it for a brief period of time was just really surprised by how much hatred there was on that app and how much disregard there was for the fact that you're speaking to other people. And I mean, this happens on every social media, but I think furthermore from that, or so often, I feel like we curate very specific lifestyle images of ourselves for social media, specifically Instagram, that don't necessarily showcase everything about us. And then, you know, let's say you match with someone or meet someone in person and you strike up a conversation and then eventually you follow each other on social media because that's the norm these days. They see this completely different person. So it's like, I think this is just such an interesting concept. So what is your kind of, I want to hear more about this and your thoughts around being authentic online and offline, because I feel like it's inevitable that you're going to be on social media. Yeah, well, it it goes, I mean, it starts with what you post the minute you post something that is not indicative of something that's real, or it's embellished, or whatever, it's kind of like lying. The minute you tell a lie, even a quote, small white lie, which most people what they call white lies are not white lies, (laughs) they just try to justify them, then you're going down this path of getting comfortable with being dishonest. And you get comfortable that becomes your new normal. And so if like with lying, if you tell a small lie, you're going to start telling bigger lies because now you're comfortable with it. So your your bar of what honesty is, is being lowered more and more and more. And so with social media, you can justify it, I guess, with while everyone lies on social media, everyone lies on dating apps. Okay, well, how do you feel when you find out that someone's lied? Not so good. So don't do the same thing just because everyone else is doing it actually probably means you shouldn't be doing it because people tend to take the path of least resistance and do short-term fixes that have long-term consequences. And that that is unfortunately the norm. If you don't want to be part of that, choose differently. So yeah, the minute we have an internal moral compass, you know, and the minute you start going against that and getting comfortable with the discomfort that comes in, it's like, no, 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 don't do that. This doesn't feel right. Eh, I'm going to do it anyway the more that moral compass is, is going to start getting quieter and quieter and you're going to be getting into bigger and bigger stuff that is not good. And if you're putting out lies and dishonesty and, and trolling and hatred in the world, that's coming right back to you. <laughs> so yeah, just keep it real. If you're having a bad day, it's not like you have to post about it online or you can, but like, I think, I think posting online and having the, whether it's, you know, us 20 pounds skinnier or the life that we want to have, we get that dopamine high quickly and we can pretend for a little bit online that that's our life as opposed to before the internet, if you wanted that life, you had to actually work for it and achieve it. 
And now we can kind of check out online and be like, well, that's my fantasy world. That's my avatar. That's this. And so it decreases the motivation to actually want to live the life that you aspire to. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think the idea of the less we listen to our moral compass, the more it kind of teeters away and relearning that takes a lot of time too. So it's like, you might as well just always listen to it. And yeah, I just, I think it's important to showcase a hundred percent who you are anywhere anyone can find you. And I think now that there is social media and Google and just so many ways to search other people, it's weird if you show up differently on any of those platforms because you wouldn't want your online persona to be anything different than what people expect you to be in real life. I think that's when or why a lot of celebrities, you you see them one way and you think they're one way because of the movies and TV there. And it's like, yeah, of course they're different, but it's like you can't take what the media is and also become your own celebrity online. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, of course you can enhance your personality and you can you can make whatever you want your profile to look like. But I think at the end of the day, if you're looking to be relatable, be authentic, I think it's just you need to show who you are and not become a completely different person. Yeah, and also going deeper, when you say things that aren't true online and you embellish and you do that, you're basically telling yourself that your life and yourself as is, is not good enough, whether you are aware of that or not. You know, if you're saying X, Y, Z, but really it's ABC, you're going to feel that because when you really are comfortable with yourself and you own who you are, you don't need to do any of that stuff. You just, you just put it out into the world or even maybe don't put anything out into the world about who you are because you just don't genuinely care. People whose opinions matter to you are not the ones who are seeing you online. You're seeing them in person. You're talking to them on the phone. They're your friends. So yeah, it's just reiterating that you are not enough unless you project this persona to the world, which is damaging. Totally. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people on dating apps, you know, they ask you to link your Instagram now. And and if you don't have it, you know, they'll ask, okay, what's your Instagram almost first before phone number, which I just find so weird. But I think a lot of it goes to show who are you online? People, A, of course, want to know that you're real, but I think people are also making sure that you're authentic, that you're not just real, real, but you're a real human who has like thoughts and feelings and compassion for others and isn't just, yeah, exactly. I don't, you know, and of course there's, there's someone for everyone. I'd rather be with someone who shows up as they truly are than someone who is just putting on a fake persona. I think, and I think everyone would be, frankly, I think the people that go after inauthenticities or whatever you want to call it are also doing driven by ego. You know, well, I deserve a supermodel, even though I'm 50 pounds overweight and don't have a job. Okay. Where's the disconnect there? And also the supermodel is not going to make you happy. That's completely ego driven. And so anyway, it's just, yeah, going down this path, it, it, it'll just mess you up on all different levels. The minute you start not being authentic to who you really are. Bottom line. Totally. Definitely. 100% agreed. So what is your best first date story? So my best first date story is from my favorite boyfriend. 
we met at a party and he just was very considerate off the bat and planned a dinner. And we were texting beforehand and I said, yeah, I just got this new promotion at work. I'm so excited. He's like, oh, that's great. I'll come pick you up in a cab and take you to this restaurant. And he was running like five minutes late or something, but he texted about it, which was so respectful. And he picked me up. We went to dinner and we walked into the restaurant and he said, you know, reservation for blah, blah. They're like, oh yeah, we've got a special menu for your, you guys. Cause he had called ahead at the restaurant and told them about my promotion and he wanted like, I think like a special dessert or something, but they actually custom made a menu with congratulations Camille on it, which he was embarrassed about. But I was like, this is amazing. He's like, I didn't know they would do this, but I was like, you called ahead and told them about my promotion. How thoughtful. It could have stopped there. That would have been the best date ever, but we had such great connection and conversation and that thoughtfulness continued through our relationship. So yeah, it's not about the money or status. It's just, it's the thoughtfulness that went into it and consideration for my time when he was running five minutes late, which was not a big deal, but he wanted to, you know, make me feel safe and know, Hey, I'm on my way. I'm so sorry. I'm like, no problem. That, that was indicative of the communication level that we had in the relationship, which was obviously great. Mm, that's awesome. I love, yeah, thoughtfulness goes such a long way. I always, always message when I'm running late, which happens more than it should because the subway system sucks, especially on weekends. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like keep tabs. We all have phones. We're all texting each other. Be courteous. Be kind. Let the other person know that you're you're almost there. And I think, yeah, it's just also... You know, we're in an era where people could stand each other up or catfish or any of that stuff. So it's just, you know, making the other person feel comfortable, exactly like you said. So I absolutely love that. And so cool for the restaurant to go above and beyond for you. I know. It was it was special. I still have the menu. That's so cool. <laughs> I probably would too. That's really awesome. That's a cool memory. Yeah. So a lot you, you touch on, and I think we kind of discussed going more into this idea of being open-minded, but you have this concept called magnetic approachability. So can you explain what this is and what some of the steps that are involved with this when you're out and about and trying to connect with people? Sure. So that's the first of the three chapters is magnetic approachability in the book. So this is, I mean, the whole chapter is dedicated to things that you do without saying a word. So this is before we even get to chapter two, which is initiating a conversation. And I just, over the years, noticed, and as I taught more workshops and and my courses and coaching, that I was doing things to get approached by people and make them feel comfortable without doing anything that was uncomfortable for me. So I guess like my rule of thumb is if you feel uncomfortable, you look uncomfortable. So I am just so at ease with myself, with my body, with who I am. I'll just go out and I'll, I'll have open body language. I'll be relaxed. I'll be looking around, making eye contact. I'll smile at people. And you don't have to do all of those things, but you know, start with one of those things and you're going to notice a shift in people coming up to you or engaging with you. And I give, I mean, I probably give like a hundred tips in that first chapter, but I have the three pillars of approachability. And it starts with before you leave the house, you know, you can set an intention for who you want to meet or a goal that you want to have of talking to three people or giving two compliments or something like that. And then I say, my, one of my favorite tips is dressing for confidence in a conversation. You know, put a little effort into your appearance. You don't have to wear your Saturday night red dress at the grocery store, but if you want to, I've seen it happen. 
and more power to you. That's awesome. So just dress in a way that makes you feel confident so that you're opening yourself up for more serendipitous opportunities and you're going to feel in a better space to talk to someone. Kind of like you were saying, Liana, when you're closed off and you're, oh, I've got these tough conversations to have, you're not going to be in a good space to connect with people. Well, if you're coming from the gym, you've got no makeup on, you've got sweats on, if you're confident with yourself, that's not a problem. But for most people, they're going to try to shy away because they're like, oh, I don't look good right now. I'm not in the mood. I So take that off the table ahead of time and just put a little effort into your appearance, whatever that means for you. And uh, wear something unique. Wear a bright color, a pattern, your favorite sports team, favorite charity, something that gives people something to comment on because clothes are such an easy conversation starter. So like you met the artist in the coffee shop, that'd be awesome if, if that was more common or people could walk around with their artwork for people to comment on. But maybe if you're an artist, make a t-shirt with your art on it and it's going to be unique. It's going to be personal. People can comment on it. And now you're talking about your art with a stranger and it happened in 10 seconds because you just strategically wore a shirt. That was a great conversation starter. So I've got tons more tips, but that's food for thought for people to get started. (laughs) I love that. And yeah, I 100% agree. I absolutely for all my friends, obviously, who know I love getting ready and I love dressing up and just putting on outfits that make me feel super confident. It's just, yeah, my favorite part of the day is just picking out an outfit. You know, if I have somewhere to go, obviously, if I'm, but honestly, like even as I've been working from home, I've gotten a little tired of the constant sweatpants and just the relaxed vibe. So some days I will put on jeans and I'll put on jewelry and just work in my apartment and wear something that makes me feel good. And it really does brighten my mood and make makes me feel a lot more confident. And then, yeah, there are some days like right now I'm in my sweatshirt and I'm super comfortable and also feel confident. So I think it just depends on also how you wake up, you know, how you feel that day. I mean, I wore sweatpants. I got these really cool sweatpants, actually, but I wore them to my friend's house last night on the subway, loud and proud with my leather jacket and my boots and I was like feeling myself. So you can feel confident in literally anything. I think it's not only what you're wearing, but how you wear it. Yes. I love that. Yeah. If you're just having a day, I remember like sometimes I would go to the bar in college, the the local student bar in sweats. And actually that was not only comfortable, but I was the only one in sweats there. And they were like fitted sweats. They were like nice sweats. So I kind of stood out a little bit. So that can totally work too. You know, it's be creative with it, whatever confident and and good feels to you. <laughs> totally. And this next thing, so it's so funny because I've touched on this in recent episodes or many episodes ago, but I didn't have a phrase for it. And then I read this vacation mindset phrase in your book And I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I talk about. And I talk about it with my friends all the time because I always come back from vacation with these really fun stories of meeting these foreigners and having these nights of adventure and these really fun, sparkly moments. And I feel like when I'm here, it's much harder for me to find those levels of connection because I think I'm not in the same mindset as I am when I'm on vacation. Hence the term vacation mindset, which I absolutely love. It's like, duh. (laughs) So can you kind of touch on what this is? Sure. So I noticed the same thing as you. I would travel somewhere. I'd be a little bit more bold. My inhibitions were lowered. I'd get these great stories. And then I noticed like coming back home, I wouldn't be as adventurous. I'm like, what the heck? And then I realized someone could come to my hometown and have the same confidence and lowered inhibitions and 
be like, this town's the best ever. And meanwhile, I'm just not seeing the opportunities because I've lived here for so long. I We get worried about running into people we know. And if we're talking to a guy, what that's what's that going to look like? Are we going to start, oh my gosh, I ran into Camille and she was flirting with this guy at the coffee shop and now it's all over the office or I don't, whatever the fear is around that, which is ridiculous. Like who cares? <laughs> you know, I'd be proud of that story now, but yeah. So it's taking what you're doing on vacation, which you probably weren't quite aware of what was happening, but we're out of our our normal routine, everything is novel, people are new. If we talk to someone, we never have to see them again if it goes badly. So it's basically, you can you can do the vacation mindset on vacation, obviously, but you can also do it in your hometown. Just go to a different coffee shop, go to a different grocery store, change up your work commute to a different route. Surround yourself with different pools of people than you've been surrounding yourself with in the same routine for how many months or how many years. And then try like a lot of techniques in my book, the ones that you're maybe like a little bit, oh, I don't know, it sounds a little scary, but also exciting. Whatever your fear is of, I'm going to just embarrass myself in front of the whole coffee shop, which you won't. But (laughs) when you go try this tip at the new coffee shop, you can tell yourself you never have to go back there again. You know, like that could be in Timbuktu for all you care. So it's just a great way to to open up your your circle of, of people that you surround yourself with, meet new people, and then, yeah, just be able to to try things that are a little bit out of your comfort zone and and do it in a way that's not going to scare you as much. I absolutely love that because it's so true. I think it's the change up in routine and and that's often what I try to do. I think it was years ago, but I read somewhere, you know, to make your weeks feel longer. You know, let's say you go to the gym every day and you take the same route to the gym every day and it just feels so routine and so mundane. But then you just change one street over, you zigzag instead of going vertically and horizontally. You know, you kind of weave your way through the streets. I mean, obviously easier said than done when you're in New York versus driving to the same place every day. But if you have the option to go down a different route, do that because you'll notice something different. You'll see a different store. You might see different people. You, I remember every day, going to one of my jobs, I saw the same girl on the street every morning. And finally, towards the end, we actually struck up a conversation and then found out she was actually leaving her job. So wouldn't be going down the same route every day. But we, you know, slowly started saying hi to each other and then, hey, how's it going? Or complimenting your outfit, whatever. And then we actually stopped and chatted and exchanged info. So, you know, you just never know who you're opening yourself up to if you just change something super minor and in terms of the vacation mindset and this is something that I was actually curious about because I oftentimes and I don't know what it is I I do really like foreigners in general which is why I like meeting people abroad but I also come across a lot of those people when I'm on a, on dating apps and those are the people that are honestly super interested in meeting up because a lot of times they're visiting by themselves or maybe they're with their family and they're looking, you know, to have a fun night with someone who's, especially as a native New Yorker, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. You probably know all the cool places. And I'm like, I do. <laughs> so I think a lot of times it people aren't interested in that. And I've definitely been in places in my life where I'm like, this is a waste of my time. I don't really want to meet up with them. But you could also say, fuck it. And just meet up with someone who's visiting. You then 
okay, cool, you just go out for drinks, nothing happens, or you have this, like, fun, spontaneous night with someone, whatever the case may be, but then you you could end up with a friend in a different country and end up being able to stay with someone who lives somewhere else. Like, I just, I, this guy was visiting from the Netherlands a couple weeks ago, and we went on two dates and had a blast. We follow each other on Instagram, and he's like, you have to come visit, and... It was like a super fun time. We totally vibe. We had great conversations. And it was funny because I ran into my camp friend and her fiance, who I hadn't seen in probably five years. She lives in the building across from me now, or they do. And we were on the subway. And I was like, hey, I haven't seen you in so long. And like, yeah, hey, I'm with this like random guy from the Netherlands who I just met tonight. But hey, nice to it was like so weird and hilarious and she's like honestly live your life i think sometimes vacationing if that means you're inviting the vacation to you in your own hometown whether that be having the mindset or literally meeting someone who's not from the city you're in and is just visiting like sometimes just go with it absolutely well and if you think about it if, especially if they're foreign and visiting, they're going to be in the vacation mindset. So they're going to have their inhibitions lowered. They're going to be more open to meeting people. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful win-win. Totally. <laughs> I completely agree. And kind of going on a bit of a different path. So there's the conversation of what happens when you are dating someone and you start to hear rumors about them. So this could be your friends that are bringing something up, oh, I heard this, or, and I think this is also a question to kind of going along that, right? If you're, actually, this is something that I ran into with a friend. I'll give an example. So a few, several years ago, friend from college, a few of us visited her and stayed at her place for the weekend, and and she just started dating this guy. And she was like, hey, is it okay if I invite him to dinner with all of us? And we said, sure, we'd love to meet him. You know, this is new for you. Great. He comes and it's terrible. It's absolutely, he's really rude. He, I don't remember exactly the specifics. It was probably three or four years ago, but he was super rude to everyone. He didn't really pay everyone attention. He would, oh, he came super drunk as well to dinner. And it was like four of us and her. So like five girls and this guy. So it was just one of those things where I remember, I don't know if she went to the bathroom at one point or like they both got up and we all kind of huddled and we're like, do we tell her? Do we say something? And we kind of all decided not to. And then they ended up dating for a while, a few years actually, and have broken up since. But shocking. It was, Mm. yeah, right. But it was like one of those things like, yeah, do you, do you say something to your friend or do you just let it slide? I think that's part one. And then part two is, if you hear something about your significant others or about your friend's significant other at a party or, you know, maybe you have mutual friends or you see something you maybe shouldn't have seen, like maybe you see them on the street kissing someone else, like, I don't know, anything like that. What do you do in those situations? Well, I'd like to reframe that something you shouldn't have seen to maybe they're doing something they shouldn't have been doing because that's 100% on them. Yeah. So first of all, I think, you know, what would I want someone to do if the roles were reversed? And if I was dating someone who sucked and I have, I would want my friends to tell me 
because clearly I'm blind to it. Clearly something's going on here. There's probably a deeper issue. Maybe, I don't know, but if you see someone treating someone else badly, especially someone that you care about, absolutely say something. Where people get hung up is how to say it. It's coming from a place of compassion, so approach it that way. And just say, you know, I would, be, I would regret not saying something to you. I care about you. This is what I see and this is what I felt. This is what I experienced. I feel that you deserve better or I'm concerned that you're not being treated well. The, the decisions are up to you, but I, I would want you to tell me if the roles were reversed, what you were saying. And that can be it, you know? If they choose to keep going and, and dating the person, that's on them, but at least your conscience is clear you stood up for your friend when you saw something that wasn't okay. And you showed caring and compassion. I mean, if, if the friend gets mad at you for that, that to me signals that they're already aware of the bad treatment and they're not ready to deal with it. Because you don't get defensive about something when you've really wholly owned it and accepted it and you're in a good place with it. You know, So the stronger the reaction to that by your friend that you just shared your observations with, the more they already know and probably the more you hit the nail on the head with this is not a good person. Totally agree. And I think something to note is just you should never make an excuse for the person you're dating. No, no. The minute you start doing that, you're going to make excuses for all the other red flag behavior that is inevitably coming down the road. Because if it's if it's one red flag, that's the tip of the red flag iceberg. <laughs> totally, totally. And I think even on the flip side, we say, Oh, give them a chance or just, you know, see where it goes. It's too soon to tell, blah, blah, blah. You know, when friends come to you and say, yeah, I've been on dating this guy and everything's great. There's just these few things that are like kind of bothering me. Like, I don't really know. And then your friend, you know, your friend says, oh, just see where it goes. Give them a chance. Don't rush to conclusions. And I think that's such poor advice. I just don't think, A, the friend should just listen I don't think you should offer any advice. I think you should say, oh, like, that's interesting. Or those, is that something you foresee as being a long-term issue for you? Exactly. Ask questions to help your friend come to their own conclusion. Yeah. So like, what else do you think might be happening if you're seeing this already? Where could this possibly go, both good and bad? Let them answer it. It's going to be way more powerful than you giving advice. And also, usually the people who give a lot of advice not the people who should be giving advice. A lot of people process their own traumas and their own issues, verbally process, especially women, by relaying that information to other people when really it's what they themselves need to hear, but they can't listen to themselves. So there's so much deeper stuff going on. That's all another conversation. It's all another podcast. But yeah, just own your feelings. Come from a place of caring and compassion. And if your friend, again, reacts strongly or is defensive, That means, first of all, you're probably extremely right in your perception of how they're being treated. They're not ready to face it yet. And that's not your fault. Your consciousness is clear. You stood up for your friends. Like, what if your friend's significant other became rapidly more abusive and then, you know, killed them or put them in the hospital and you didn't say anything? Think of worst case scenarios here. You would regret that for the rest of your life. And that happens, unfortunately. So yeah, it's like if you see someone not being treated well, say something and just share your experience. Don't tell them what to do, but just share your experience. And then going to your second question of hearing rumors about someone that your friend is dating, again, I would share it because it's kind of like stereotypes. I hate to say it, but they they start with something that's true and they get that they're not good. They get used against people. But there's 
there's usually a reason, if, especially if several people know something about someone, the chance that none of it is true is goes down with the more people know. You know what I mean? So empower your friend with that information and let them decide what to do with it. It's not like telling them, well, you need to talk to them about this because I heard this rumor about them and you need to protect yourself. But it's just, hey, I want to pass along this thing that I heard. I wasn't searching for this information. I came across it. I want you to have this context. And I don't know if it's true, but it might be worth a conversation with the person because I heard it from three different people, which tells me that they're, even if it's not all true, there's, there's something here. I don't know why people are saying this, but you might want to talk about it because this sounds like a real issue if there's any truth to it, which there probably is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've approached friends about their own issues before as well. And it's painful and it's cost me friendships. But at the end of the day, if I, I know deep down, if I didn't say anything, I would regret it for the rest of my days. If I didn't approach the conversation or or broach the topic of whatever was happening with that friend because yeah I'm super compassionate person I'm super empathetic and a lot of people see that as an anti-superpower but I see it as a superpower I think it's yeah Liana like your vibration is high if you're having those conversations you have to surround yourself with people vibrating at that same level or they're going to bring you down so let them self-filter themselves out if they're not ready to hear an honest, compassionate, kind experience that you're sharing with them, then they it's probably unfortunately time for them to go on their own journey because you got to keep your vibration high and surround yourself with people who would appreciate that about you. Yeah, so well said. And something I've been thinking about a lot recently too is this concept of vulnerability. I mean, I talk about this all the time, but I think something that I've really honed in on this week was I think people see, a lot of people do see vulnerability as super painful. And it is. It's painful because you are letting someone see the depths of yourself, but it's more painful to let the, to let that conversation go unsaid. Because I think vulnerability is just another way of saying honesty. You're being honest and truthful, not only to yourself, but to the other person involved. And it will be way more painful to completely avoid the conversation, whatever you need to be honest about with the other person, it will be painful to you and to them and make the whole situation just way worse. It's just this, it's the same thing about breakups. If you, and yeah, breakups are vulnerable. You're being vulnerable about what's not working, what you don't like about the other person. You can be as specific or non-specific as you want when you have that conversation, but at the end of the day, that's essentially what you're saying. So yeah, of course it's painful and of course you want to push it off. But at the end of the day, that pain is just going to grow because it's weighing you down first and foremost. If you know that something isn't right, you need to, just like any difficult conversation, like the difficult conversations that I've had in my life recently, you will feel that weight lifted off your chest. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's almost a natural high. Because again, like with lying, like with representing yourself differently online, the more you sit in that discomfort and it gets comfortable, the less likely you are to you to channel that discomfort to have that conversation to get to the point of feeling, I mean, it's like a natural drug when you get that weight off your chest of a difficult conversation and you come from an authentic place and you share respectfully something that you've been dreading. It's just incredible. And it, it does raise your vibration and it does 
It does so many amazing things for you. Uh, and it makes the next difficult conversation a lot easier because it just becomes your, your norm of, oh, I'm feeling like that. I got to have this conversation. I know what to do with this feeling. I'm not going to sit in it. I'm not going to wait. It's going to get worse or I'm going to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. I'm going to use this and I'm going to get this off my chest. Yeah, I think it's it's great to have those conversations. It's And it is tough, but the longer you go without it, because it's acute versus chronic, right? It's like the chronic pain of not having those conversations is going to be a lot longer, a lot deeper, but it's not going to be as acute. So a lot of people will take the short term, well, I don't, I don't want a day of feeling bad or a day of worrying about you know, I'm meeting my friend for dinner and I'm going to have this conversation with them. So they go for a lifetime of not having the conversation. And then you hear the songs on the radio about the regrets that they have. It's like, ah, you should have just said it. You would have spared yourself so much long-term, just deep discomfort by just doing it. Get it done with. Yeah. Anything that you can do to make your life easier. You know, for example, if you, it's as simple as something like filling up the freaking Brita. It's like tomorrow Liana will be so happy to have this full glass of water after a night out versus not filling up the Brita and not having cold water in my refrigerator. If I do this now. (laughs) And it becomes a habit, right? Then you just, you automatically see the Brita's almost empty and you just refill it. You don't even think about it because you're in the habit of taking care of things as they come up as opposed to in the habit of putting them off. It's two different paths. You choose. Totally. Totally. And and I, I talk about this all the time and it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I clearly went a few months without having certain conversations that I needed to have. And I didn't realize how much I needed to have them until the issue kept arising. And so once it kept coming up as flashing red in my face and flashing lights over and over and over again and just was not resolving on its own, I was like, okay, I, yeah, I, this is still really important to me. And no, it's not too late. It's the same thing as... It's never too late to send a thank you note, or it's never too late to say sorry, or it's never too late to say, I hope you feel better, get well, or any of those things. It really isn't. I think we underestimate how impactful words can be because we spend so much time avoiding saying certain things. Exactly. And then, uh, yeah, it's just, I wish I I could inject people with this, the feeling that you get by saying what's on your mind by having the difficult conversation and how it is a complete life changer. I mean, if I, if I had more time in my day, I would start another business on how to have tough conversations because I I actually tried to do that with my other, don't run two businesses at once. That's not a good idea, but, but I'm so passionate about it. And it's like, just get to the other side of the tough conversation and you will see what I'm talking about. But the only way to experience it is by having the tough conversation. And so many people just will never cross that line and never do it. And they go down the path of avoidance and they, they keep doing that and, re, and strengthening that neural pathway of avoid, 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 as opposed to address, 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 which is a completely different, completely different life when you address things as they come up. Yeah. Oh, so well said. We're going to end on that note. Thank you so much. I just have a few rapid fire questions and then we'll get to where everyone can find you. So the first is, how do you get excited for a date? When I have a great connection with someone ahead of the date, and I have so many questions that I want to ask them on the date, and I come in knowing that, but also kind of just seeing what comes up, because I know if I'm already curious about certain things, then when I'm with them, I'm just going to be curious about more. I love that. Oh, yes. And I relate to that too, so much. 
So what is your ideal date? My ideal date would be someone taking the time to do something thoughtful for me. So just even just one thing on the date, like my ex did with calling ahead and telling him about my promotion, just one thing like that, that shows that I'm not just going to the same restaurant. You took 25 other first dates and you've got a quote, first date routine, but something that shows that you actually want to get to know me and you're paying attention, you're listening, you're asking questions that will go so far. And that again, doesn't have to be fancy, but just something that shows thoughtfulness. Mm, Wonderful. So where can everyone find you? Well, my book, The Offline Dating Method, is on Amazon, on Powell's, all the major online bookstores. And there's two editions. The first one is for women seeking men, because that's what I can speak to. That's my business. But the second edition that just came out in August 2021 is updated for all genders and uh, sexual orientations. They're both called The Offline Dating Method. One is how to attract a great guy in the real world. One is three steps to attract your perfect partner. But if they want to start with my free challenge, they can go to offlinedatingchallenge.com. It'll walk you through the three chapters of the book, give you some action items to try. You can uh, start with bite-sized tips from there. Love it. Yeah, I love the LGBTQ comments and mentions throughout this edition. It's, It's really great. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been so much fun to chat and exchange stories. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too, Liana. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode or this podcast in general, I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate, and review below. And if you can think of anyone who would enjoy this podcast, please consider sharing it. As a new podcast, the most helpful thing is to grow by word of mouth. After all, who doesn't enjoy a good date story? Lastly, if you would like to connect with me, please follow me on Instagram at ghosts underscore of dates past. And feel free to shoot me a DM if you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest. I'm always looking for new people to bring on to the show. Hope you all have lovely weeks and I'll be back next week for another juicy episode. Bye for now.